0: I was watching the news this morning and saw that the U.S. has already gotten some gold. Some gold medals uh, have been won. I think the downhill uh, skiing, uh, if not maybe the downhill slope or whatever the new one is, uh, snowboarding off the uh, big ramp, slope skiing, Uh, and I think also in figure skating. So uh, we're doing really well with the Olympics, and the team is really uh, working together And one of the things, though, that people have been talking about is really not so much the uh, performance and uh, the athletics, but it's been more about the sweaters, right? (laughs) Did you see this? Okay, already there. Uh, This was something that uh, was all over social media. These are Ralph Lauren sweaters, uh, but everybody was saying that they definitely brought the 80s back. And uh, I don't don't really have any opinion on that, because I kind of like the 80s, but... Um, th- everybody's talking about that, just saying, uh, you know, look how goofy they look and, and all of that. But one of the things, as as they were interviewing um, different athletes after the, the night, after the, uh, the marching in, they said that is really the most important, most special time um, that they had ever had, I mean, ever before. Probably, uh, and for the athletes who are repeats, they've been there before, uh, they were saying that it, it definitely is uh, the top. I mean, they even winning a gold medal is not quite as moving as marching into the stadium with your team and being able to hold the American flag and to see everybody else and just all of the uh, pomp and circumstance that goes into that opening ceremony. And one of the, the really neat things is always to look at the stories, the backstories to each one of these athletes. And I... I don't know all their names yet. I can recognize Sean White and a few others in there. But uh, this morning, I saw a couple of interviews of uh, some of the athletes. And just to see how they have always had a dream to go to the Olympics and how they've nurtured that dream and how they've practiced and done everything to prepare. And then when they get there and are able to win, even if it's not a gold medal, just to see the fulfillment that comes and, and as they recognize the potential that they have. And so uh, you'll hear the different coaches talking to them as they get ready for uh, whether it's figure skating. I mean, how hard can that be, right? (laughs) You just kind of skate out there. Uh, And, uh, you know, all the other events, they they are talking to them, and they're making sure that they stay in their heads, uh, that their words, all of the coaching that they've put into these athletes, that it will stay with them, and they just want to be there to coach them on to victory. As I was... uh, Thinking about the Olympics and reading the text this week, I I, I thought uh, a lot of what Jesus was saying. And and I I want to uh, read to you the scripture from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. It really goes with what we've heard from Isaiah. And it goes with what we've heard from 1 Corinthians. And it is about potential. It's about making a difference in this world. It's about being a champion, a spiritual champion. Here in the world. Jesus gets all of the disciples and he gets all of the, uh, the people who are gathered there uh, on this particular day. He, he gets them and they sit down and he begins to teach them. This is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And some people debate, you know, was it on a plane or was it on a mount? Uh, where was this? And that really doesn't matter. Uh, because what matters most is what Jesus had to say. And uh, what a profound message Jesus gave to them. But he begins here by saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Well, it is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I think I mentioned last week uh, just uh, uh, the kind of people that Jesus had gathered around Him that day and, and the real irony of what He is saying to them. These are the oppressed. These are the beaten down the poor, the forgotten, the neglected, these are the uneducated, these are the common laborers, these are the people who are the neediest. And Jesus looks out at all of them, and he must have had one of those smiles. If you've never seen one of the paintings of Jesus smiling, you need to uh, Google that and and look, because it's always very refreshing. A lot of the times when we see paintings, depending on uh, what particular Um, age they were painted in, you you can see Jesus with a frown. Uh, You know, he's really upset, like, I'm going to get you. Uh, I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to get you. Uh, And that's sometimes maybe a reflection on how the artist felt as he or she was painting, uh, but it is also how we sometimes interpret Jesus as well. Jesus is out to get me. Um, And, you know, he knows what I what I have done. But but Jesus uh, is is really smiling at them, looking at them with every bit of hope, every bit of love, every sense of being a coach to them, saying, you, you, all of you poor, ordinary, regular people, you are the salt of the earth. And I'm sure they started to laugh. I'm sure they were looking around to see if all the rich people or all the educated or all the highly religious people were around, and they didn't see him. They started looking at each other and say, you know, did you hear what he said about us? We are the salt of the earth. And of course, as salt, they understood that, just as we do today, that uh, it is the basic element uh, or one of the basic elements that we need to survive in this world. And they use salt as a preservative. They use salt to spice their food. They use salt in a lot of different ways. And it was something very precious to them. And so, what they heard Jesus saying to them was You are a preservative in this world. You are the spice that makes this world what God has always intended for it to be. You are the basic element, you are critical to everything. That God wants to do right here in this world and in this land. Jesus was elevating them in a way no other teacher, no other religious person had ever done. But he doesn't stop with salt. He goes into light and he says, you are the light of the world. And he knew that the way that they would illuminate their rooms in in the evening, they would take uh, an oil lamp and they would put it up on the like a, a ledge in the corner of the room. And as they put it there, it would shine and, and be able to cast the light throughout the room, and they could do whatever they needed to do and find whatever they needed to find. I don't, I don't know if they were like looking for their car keys or, or whatever, but um, they, they were able to see and function. And he said, okay, so if you had a light in your room, you wouldn't take a, uh, a bowl, or he talks about a bushel basket, you wouldn't take that, And put it over the light. You wouldn't, you know, uh, snuff out the light. That doesn't make any sense. You would let it shine. That's what it's for. And he says, in the same way, let your light, as my people going out into this world, let your light shine. Don't cover it up. Don't hide whatever God has put inside of you. Don't stop talking to people Uh, about the good news of of Jesus Christ. Don't uh, stop doing good deeds and loving one another and taking care of the needs around you. Let your light shine. Jesus was looking at a group of people that had constantly been in trouble because of not letting the light shine. If you look back throughout the uh, uh, different books that we've been reading in the Old Testament, if you look at some of the prophets, there is this constant criticism and this constant alert and warning that they are giving to the people of Israel, saying, uh, this is not what God has intended. Whatever you're doing is not what God wants. What God wants is for you to shine your light. You are to be a, a light to the nations. And what they were doing was covering up their light. So Jesus says, okay, we're going we're to start over here, and you are that light. Carry it and shine it so that others may see it. And as we sit here today, if you'll just look at somebody next to you, you may not want to look at them, especially um, if you're mad at them today. But look, go ahead and look around you today, okay? You are looking at light. And what Jesus wants us to know today is that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. And you may not feel very special. You may not be uh, at the level of education that you think you should be to be able to have that kind of influence. Um, You may not have as many friends as you think you ought to have to be able to make that kind of a difference. You uh, feel like you don't have much to offer. And if that's the case, you're in good company because that's the kind of group that Jesus used to change the world, right? We are sitting here today as a result of their light, They went out with their light, they went out with their uh, uh, preservative uh, element, and they they went out and and shared what God had given them with the people around them. And in doing so, they changed the world. They literally changed their world. And when people would look at them, as they looked at James and John... uh, and uh, others, they would just say, these are common, ordinary people. Or as they looked at Jesus, what would they say? Well, what good comes from Nazareth? I mean, he's, he's from a poor city. He's, he's from a very, uh, you know, he's a, a carpenter and from a carpenter's family. You're saying he's the king? You're saying he's the Messiah? And yet Jesus came and changed the world. And we need to hear that today as well. God has called you to make a radical difference in this world. And most of you are pretty spicy already. I mean, you're like beyond salt, right? You're, you, you're Cajun spices. And, um, and God has called you to continue to go out into the community where salt is needed, where preservation needs to take place, and where life needs to be nurtured. God has called you to go where you are right now. Sometimes people say, well, I, I don't like my job, I just can't be a Christian there like Sabra. Um, or <laughs> I, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think I can make a difference where I am. I wish God would, you know, give me a great sign of, about what it is that I am to do. And what God has said to us already is he has put us where he wants us to be, that we might be able to make a radical difference And maybe the reason that you're in the dark is because you're supposed to be in the dark. You are supposed to carry light and illumination in the midst of that darkness. So how in the world can we do that? I mean, how is it that we could ever really be that kind of salt and that kind of light? As we continue to think about the scripture that we've heard here today, uh, one that was read earlier that's there in your bulletin, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through uh, 16. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he wants them to know what kind of potential they have. He wants them to know that even though they're common, ordinary people who are uh, kind of shunned by the rest of society because they believe in this Messiah, that they can have great effect he says, you're about, uh, for what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. And then uh, there at the end of that, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And Paul says, well, but we have the mind of Christ. We, those who follow in the way of Jesus, have the mind of Christ of Christ. Paul would write to the Romans about transforming their minds, and and how it is that someone can allow their, their mind to be transformed by Christ, as it comes through prayer, and as it comes through seeking and doing the will of God. And he contrasts that with the mind of the world. There is this great difference between how we think and how Christ thinks. And what Paul is writing to them, and they were a messed up church, and maybe you've been in a messed up church before, um, I think we, I didn't hear any am, amens, but I, I think we've all been in messed up churches before, and, and there is no perfect church, but this one was really having problems, and Paul writes to them and says, you, you need to quit thinking the way that you think, and you need to start thinking with the mind of Christ. There is this great mystery of God, this great mystery of the gospel that is made simple with the mind of Christ. Think about how Jesus thought. I mean, as he went through uh, different places, different cities, uh, different environments, different religious groups, and and dealing with people around him, he was always thinking about them, wasn't he? He was always thinking about serving other people. And as uh, some say, he was thinking about Jerusalem all the time. He never quit thinking about where he was headed. But he loved everyone so much that he continued to think and to think and to think about them and what God had intended for them. We need to get into that mind of Christ as well, don't we? And how does that work for you in your life? That's Jesus calling right now. (laughs) What did he say? Uh, But we need to get to that point in our lives where we get rid of whatever it is that's distracting us from listening and sitting and being still in our souls and and, and just allowing God to shape our minds. Your mind is being shaped constantly by all kinds of things. I mean, we have all the devices and all of the things that continue to send us one message after another about who we ought to be and what we ought to do and what we ought to wear, what we ought to drive, where we ought to live. All of those things, we're just constantly bombarded. And if we're not careful, we begin to think like that. And we define ourselves, we measure ourselves based on those things and that kind of thinking. But what we need to hear as individuals, but also as a as a corporate body, as a church, is that we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to be sure that we are functioning as a body that is driven by the thoughts of the mind of Christ. And that comes from getting deeper into the words of Christ. It comes from getting into the spirits of Christ. It comes from uh, developing a sense of community with one another because we know that God speaks uh, through Each of you, God speaks to one another. God speaks to me through you, and I hope vice versa. And as we come together in those different ways, and as we come together in our own personal private time with God, whether it's through prayer or through service, then we start getting the mind of Christ. So that's the challenge that we have as followers of Christ is to continue asking, well, who would Jesus think about this? And how can my behavior reflect that? Well, another uh, thing that we learned from our scripture is what is in the Isaiah text. And uh, it was the first one that was read. And, and I, I love this. It is such a powerful, moving um, continuation of what we heard last week in Micah. Micah 6, 1 through 8 is what we looked at last week. And it was, what does the Lord require of you? And if you remember... Micah is a prophet who is speaking out against all of the the junk that these people were doing. Uh, They were keeping up with their worship schedules and their sacrifices, and they're interacting with God. And Micah is describing it like a court setting, and, and it's God versus Israel. But it was Israel that took God to court. But God's going back and forth with them and saying, You're doing all of this, and you think it's pleasing me, and you think this is what I want? when all the while you're neglecting justice and you're neglecting loving kindness and neglecting walking with your God. And so uh, you see that there is this uh, criticism and uh, God is pointing out to them some things they need to change. Well, Isaiah uh, is saying pretty much the same thing. And shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion. To the house of Jacob for their sins, day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And again, these are the people, as as we looked at uh, at Christmas time, uh, who are in exile. They have been taken away from Jerusalem. They've been taken uh, far away to Babylon. And as they are there, they're wondering, okay, God, what did we do to get here? Why are you so against us? We worship you and we do all these wonderful things, and yet you, you just leave us here. You've never shown up for us. They say, why do we fast? You know, they, they would fast at least twice a year as a way of getting in tune with God so they could know why they were there, why things weren't going right in their lives. It had to be God's fault because they were fasting but you do not see us when we fast why do we even do it why humble ourselves but you do not notice look you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers this is god to them look you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high and if you look down uh, towards the, the end there, is, is not this fast that I, I choose? Or is this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Isn't that what I require? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? If you will do those things, and this is one of those conditional statements that God uh, gives to people. If you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, then I will not do this. You see the conditional back and forth? God is giving them every opportunity to respond in the right way. If you will share your bread with the hungry. I mean, how hard is that? if you'll share your bread with the hungry, if you'll make sure that the people around you who don't have clothes, if you'll make sure they have some clothes, then you're doing the right thing. If you will take that light of yours and shine it for other people to see, he says, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. In other words, if you'll start doing what you are required to do, by caring for one another, then you'll have a major breakthrough. So he goes on to to talk about this, and you could read the rest of that that scripture that's there. But he makes it very simple. This is how you are to be in God's world, caring for one another. Simple as that. Doing justice, loving kindness, and walking with God. How do you measure up with that today? If we were to have a prophet show up here today, just to address us as a group. I mean, what would the prophet say? Would it be something similar to this? Like, okay, you guys get up here every Sunday at 11, or if you're really spiritual, you get here for Sunday school at 945, or you get here for a donut at 945. And as you get here, uh, you check that box off, and and, uh, maybe as you pray, or maybe you give an offering, or maybe you sing really well, and... And you think that that is, is really how you're measuring up to uh, make sure that, I, you know, that or that God uh, approves of you, but you know what, what if the prophet would say, "But that's not at all what God wants you to do?" because there are people out there in the neighborhood who don 't have any bread this morning. There are people out there who have no coat on today, who have no underwear, who have no socks. there are people out there who are just suffering, who are homeless. I think it's interesting that it mentions here, and I think in this graphic you can see it too, taking the homeless poor into your house. I think it's great. Where is Richard? Richard's right there. Richard has uh, been able to, he's opened up his home for a friend who needs a place to stay right now. Richard is doing what God wants him to do. Those of you who gathered supplies yesterday, Tina and, and uh, Kendra and others, you were doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. Those of you who are here helping with tax preparation yesterday, yeah, God and taxes can go together. <laughs> I have quite figured that one out yet. But, um, but you are helping free people. You are helping provide justice because of the injustices done right here in this neighborhood. People being ripped off left and right. With payday loans and instant tax returns, which actually don't exist. All of these things are what God requires of us. And as a church, we have built ourselves around this idea that, that we are here to, to serve other people. Volunteers of America certainly has that as their mission. And they use Micah 6 1 through 8 as a foundational passage. To see what God wants to be done, and to do it, and to take care of other people. If you're not already on a team, one of our missional ministry teams, we, we have a goal in our church that anyone who joins our church um, must sign up for a team, and we usually do a pretty good job of checking up on that. You know, we'll, if we don't see you working, we'll uh, come after you. Now, it's it's never really a problem. I don't think you would be here if you weren't interested in serving the needs of other people. And typically, people start serving long before they ever join the church. But if you don't have a team that you're on right now, you could join the veterans team and help wish happy birthday to, to uh, veterans down here, just down two blocks down the street. Uh, maybe it's reading to a child in the Lighthouse after-school program or helping help a child solve a math problem or uh, doing art with kids. Or maybe it's helping the most severely mentally um, disabled people in our community on a a daily basis be able to find hope and to find strength and to know that somebody cares for them. We have a, a guy who comes in here every day who is so disturbed that he can't be around other people. And he just comes and sits right there. And I'm not sure I know how to help him. But maybe you do. And God calls us to take care of the people that he has put around us. One of the uh, things that I heard this past week that has stayed with me is from um, General Eisenhower. I was listening to, uh, kind of a nerd, listening to uh, British uh, BBC on the radio, and uh, they were playing a speech from Eisenhower to the troops who were getting ready to storm the beaches at Normandy. And you've heard this speech, I'm sure you've heard it in school, and probably uh, even seen the picture. If you look at this picture, and you look at these guys, and you you see their faces, and you, you see the... The wear and the tear. And you see Eisenhower, who's been through all of that, giving them some very powerful words. As they looked up, they knew what was awaiting them on the cliffs. And I don't know how many of those even made it you know, out of the boat or even got up beyond the, the sand of the shore. But uh, there's a little clip I want to play for you. It's about a, a minute long. Listen to these words.
1: and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well trained, well equipped, and battle hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble
0: undertaking. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. As I heard that on the radio, I just started thinking how, I've heard this, I don't know how many times, but how powerful that must have been for those guys. To know that the eyes of the world truly were upon them, that so much rested upon their shoulders. Freedom. Victory. While Jesus wasn't calling His disciples to go into battle, He was calling them to change the world. to call, Calling them to free people who were in a holocaust of sorts, To be able to take the chains off of people who had been living with the oppression of injustice. And to be able to share with them the good news of what God was doing in the world. Jesus picked up on this and said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It wasn't some future reality. It was you are today salt, and light. As you go into your week this next week, may you know that the eyes of the world are upon you, and God goes with you. Let us pray. God, we are humbled just to think of your interest and in our involvement with what you want to do in this world. We look at how daunting our mission is, and we realize the sacrifice and the, the challenges that, that come our way. Yet you have given us a powerful mind, the mind of Christ, and you've given us an assignment that we can go about even as we leave from this place today. May we know of your love, your grace, your mercy as we go. In Christ's name, amen.